0: And welcome back, bonus episode number two coming at you here. This is Grimoire from RJ Knight. Like I said, a good friend of mine, somebody that I really am just so proud to be able to share this with you. I know he put a ton of work and effort into this and just knocked it out of the park. So hope you guys enjoyed this second episode of the bonus episode here. And remember, the sample is to whet your appetite and get you interested in the book. So go ahead and check out the rest of it, sample... The link to purchase the full book is down below, and also the link to RJ's author Facebook page, so go ahead and check that out as well, and give it a like and a follow. And now, without further ado, I give you the rest of the sample of Grimoire. Chapter 2 Show groaned and flopped sideways on her bunk. Books and random other academic articles lay strewn across the bed with her. Next to it, her two bags lay open, their contents in just as much disarray as the bunk. Ah, Show groaned again, placing a hand on her forehead. Forty minutes, and I'm bored. No homework, no experiments, no tests, quizzes, or exams to study for. This is hell. I told my parents I'd hate it here. After bemoaning her plight for a few more minutes, Sho stood up, straightened her clothing, grabbed her vest from under a pile of books, put it back on, picked up a matching purse, and headed out of her room. Micah was in the main room of the cabin, slightly removed from the door, doing push-ups while reading a book, as Sho emerged from her room. She stood for a moment in surprise before recovering herself and crossing her arms. Let me guess, this is your cabin too? She supposed in mild irritation. Micah nodded without ceasing to read his book or do his workout, show sighed in mild frustration. I suppose there are worse people to be stuck with for three months, she thought. She stood for a while longer, watching Micah. After a time, she became impressed with the mechanical speed and consistency that he performed the exercise with. One, two, three, four. She began to count in her head. Sixty times in a minute, exactly one per second. This man is a machine. I can only imagine the discipline it took to reach that point. Sho's attention was uninterested by the book Micah was reading. "'What are you reading?' she inquired, curiosity getting the better of her. "'The Bible,' Micah replied. "'You a believer?' "'Yes.' She pondered this new information for a moment. "'You're not lecturing me. Does that mean you are too?' She was taken off guard by the question, and stood flustered for a moment. Out of habit, she opened her mouth to respond in annoyance, then paused upon realizing an innocent question didn't deserve a rebuke. Empirical believer, she responded after a few seconds' contemplation. That's not the same thing, Micah stated. What? What do you mean it's not the same thing? I believe everything you do, and then some. You believe too much. It becomes legalistic and humanized. That's a matter of opinion. Show was about to continue when the cabin door swung open and Jock stepped in. "'I only have two questions. One, what are you arguing about? And two, are you a couple?' He asked in a standard, charismatic way. First of all, no,' Show responded. And second, this jerk thinks that empirical belief and standard belief aren't fundamentally the same.' Micah closed his book and stood up, placing it on the table. "'I see,' Jock said calmly before turning to face Micah. You, sir, fundamentally believe that by default, mankind cannot save themselves from the damnation after death, and only through godly grace, which was bought by the sacrifice of his own self, can receive eternal life, yea or nay? Micah nodded plainly. Jock then turned to Sho. And you, ma'am, hold the same thing as your basis of religion? Of course, Sho responded. I mean, not every empirical believer does, but I do. There, problem solved. Anything else is a matter of opinion and not worth arguing over, Jock concluded. Show nodded slowly, her face still flushed with emotion. Micah sighed. My apologies, he said to Show. Great, Jock said happily. Now we can get to know each other. My name's Jock. Micah. The two men shook hands. They finished and Jock turned to Show. Show, wait, don't tell me this is the cabin you're assigned to. I have no clue, Jock replied. I'm only here because I was escorting Scout. Speaking of which, this is Scout. As he said this, Jock pulled Scout just inside the door with him and put his hand on his shoulder. Scout kept his head drooped and eyes down. Micah looked at him and Jock for a moment before slipping past him and out the door. What's wrong with him? Sho asked. Why don't you ask him? Jock replied. Show turned towards Scout. Well? She inquired impatiently. I... I um I uh I'm I'm blind," Scout stammered. "Oh," Show said quietly, noticing his pale eyes as he looked up at her. "Which way's the room I'm staying in?" he asked, trying to escape the blue glow that shone inside Show's bosom. "It's to your right," Show answered plainly. Scout nodded and moved past Jock, feeling his way into the room. "So, Show, huh?" Jock said. That's not a normal name around here. Are you an immigrant? Sho turned toward him. No, my grandparents were. I'm named after my grandmother. That's cool. What classes are you taking here? You ask a lot of questions. I get a lot of answers. As Jock and Sho continued talking, Scout sat on his bed, his two small bags of belongings lying next to him. The room was a mirror to the one on the other half of the cabin. Scout looked through the wall to the two conversing beings. All was black except for their shapes. Jock was white, not too bright, but not too weak either, the brightness of a star on a clear night. Show still shone a pale blue, the edges of her form hardly even visible, but growing more visible as it neared her core, the center of her chest being about as bright as a dying glow stick. After several minutes, Scout's keen ears detected the sound of footsteps coming up the trail. He turned to see who was coming and was forced to look away. Whoever was coming was white like Jock, but shone so brilliantly that it was like looking at a spotlight. A moment later, the door of the cabin opened and Micah stepped in, a backpack over his shoulder and a suitcase in his hand. Hey, that's my stuff, Jock said in good-humored surprise. Micah nodded and handed the baggage to his owner. I figured I'd get it for you. Well, thanks, man, but how did you know which was mine? I asked. Most people seem to know you already. Well, I do have that effect sometimes. "Hem," Sho interrupted. The two men turned to look at her. Is Jock even in this cabin? He's on the list, Micah responded. What list? Micah pointed toward a piece of paper, pinned on the fridge by a small magnet. Sho walked over and looked at it. Cabin placement. Scout Mitch. Sho Kojiro. Jock Smith. Micah Hallen, Karma Kitdill, Jim Wrangler. Is your last name Smith? She asked as she read the rest of the list. Yes, it is, Jock replied. Show sighed and walked into her room, muttering. "'I guess that means I'm with you guys,' Jock said, still smiling. "'So where's the other two?' Karma sat barefoot on a tree branch about sixty feet from the ground, one knee pulled up against her chest and the other hanging lazily over the side. From her perch, she could see the field and school building over the treetops and watch the people gradually disperse to their cabins as the sun began to set behind them. The wind rocked the tree slightly and caused Karma's multicolored hair to flag sideways slightly. "'Okay, Calico. We're going to be here for three months. That's a lot of people. Some of them are really smart, too, so you'll have to be extra careful,' she said. There was a moment of silence, as if she were listening to something. She chuckled. "'Of course, you can still have fun. Just don't get caught and avoid being seen.' Again, there was a pause. (laughs) "'Karma said, waving her hand in dismissal. "'Don't worry about me. No one's been able to catch me yet, and that's not about to change.' There was a third pause. "'Oh, you're on,' Karma said, suddenly leaping to her feet while still maintaining balance on her branch. With cat-like dexterity, she leapt to a neighboring tree and landed with her hands and feet sticking to the side. She then quickly scurried down, jumping to the ground when she was only twenty feet up. She landed in a roll and snatched her shoes from the ground, putting them on while she sprang to her feet and sprinted through the forest. After a moment, she was on the trail, sprinting along a slight incline. She glanced over her shoulder. "'Come on, Calico, is that the fastest you can go?' She taunted before putting on a burst of speed. As she came rushing toward her goal, she saw Jim walking toward the lost cabin door, a large hiking bag on his back. Karma grinned and poured the last of her energy into the final rush of speed. As Jim opened the door, Karma leapt into the air and landed square on his shoulders, causing him to stumble forward from the unexpected impact and leave a tiny clearance in the doorway. Karma used the large man as a springboard to dive through the small opening and land on the table, rolling." She ended her maneuver with a round-off off off the far end of the table. "'Ta-da!' she said, spreading her arms out and standing on one toe with her other leg hooked behind her. Jock clapped his hands. He and Sho were sitting at the table, talking when Karma entered. Jim was walking through the doorway a moment later. "'Ugh, what just happened?' the latter asked. "'I was magnificent,' Karma answered, bowing. "'Hey, Jim, nice to meet you again,' Jock said. "'Huh?' Oh, hi, Jock. What are you doing here? I live here for the next three months. You? Same, I think. Sounds good. Guy's room is right behind me. Jock jabbed his thumb toward the right-hand door. Thanks, Jim said before disappearing into the room. So... Karma began, causing Jock and Sho to look around, trying to find out where she had gone. You guys are my roomies. The two finally pinpointed the sound and looked up toward the upper window on the back side of the cabin. Karma was seated on the thin edge of the window frame, her right hand holding onto the wall above as she took a bite out of an apple with her left. "Mearty," she groaned. "'That's cool,' Jock said. "'I see you have cat ears. Are you staying up there with claws, or—' "'Gecko hands,' Karma answered. "'Nice.' "'You're Karma?' Sho asked, resting her head in her hands. yep Sho groaned again. This is the worst cabin ever. Okay, where's the food? Jim asked, walking back into the main room. There might be some in the fridge, Jock said, but I think you're probably going to have to cook something. Nope, someone made sandwiches. Say what? Jock asked, turning around in his chair. Sho looked up as Jim closed the fridge and set a large plastic-wrapped plate of sandwiches on the table. It has a note. Jock declared, picking up a piece of paper that was set on top of it. It says, free for consumption. Sweet, Jim said, unwrapping it. Hold on, who would just make a dozen sandwiches and leave them for everyone else to eat? I mean, what sort of moron would do that? Karma asked from up in the window. I have a guess, Sho said, her head back in her hands. Chapter 3 Jim leapt sideways off a large log, spinning skillfully through the air and landing with equal skill on the forest ground. Jim was, at that time, wearing shorts and a tank top rather than professional sports attire. Karma stood a short ways off, her clothing only having changed in color, but her hair now braided into a long rope rather than hanging freely. She clapped her hands briefly. Not bad, she offered. You can do better? Jim asked uncertainly. Karma laughed before suddenly dashing toward the log, leaping up, rebounding off it, and doing a double backflip before landing in a back handspring, finally ending next to Jim. "'Well, better?' she asked, grinning. Jim blinked a few times in bewilderment. "'Dang,' he finally said. Karma giggled just as Jock appeared through the brush and staggered into the clearing where they were standing. "'There you guys are. What you doing?' "'Parkour,' Jim responded. "'Nice. That's essentially where you turn the world into a playground and be awesome, right?' "'Something like that,' Jim replied. I like that definition, Karma added. Hey Jock, do you have anything to eat? Jim asked. I don't think. Wait, oh no, I do have something, he replied, checking his jacket pockets. After a moment, he found a candy bar and tossed it to Jim. The big man thanked him as he began to munch. There was a rustling in the brush off to the side, and Max suddenly came running into the clearing. Coming through, he said hastily as he rushed past him, a stick held in either hand, one about twice as long as the other, and with a handkerchief tied around the end. The young man's momentum was suddenly stopped when Karma tripped him as he ran by, causing him to tumble to the ground. Just as Max began to recover, Rob came bursting into the clearing from the same direction he had come, a long stick in his hand as well. Max spun into his back just in time to lift the shorter rod of wood in both hands and block as Rob brought his down toward him with a powerful swing. Whoa, what's going on? Jock inquired in surprise. You guys are having a sword fight? Jim asked in excitement. Rob replied, glancing over his shoulder. Team capture the flag, no going indoors. Max pushed Rob's weapon sideways off his own and scrambled to his feet. You can join if you want, Rob added, taking a fighting stance. That's my team's flag right there, he said, gesturing to the longer stick Max was holding, the red handkerchief tied to the end serving as a designation of its significance. Sweet, Jim said, snapping a branch off the fallen log he and Karma had been parkouring off of. Ah crud, Max exclaimed as the two men began to circle him. Now, hold on a second, Jock said, stepping between the adversaries. I'm going to play too, and if Jim is joining your team, I'll be joining Max's. Max sighed in relief. Thanks, man, he said gratefully. No need to, just get that flag home, Jock ordered playfully as he assumed a fighting stance, his empty hands open. Right, Max said, turning and resuming his run. I got this guy, you're faster, go after Max, Rob said to Jim. Jim nodded and sprinted past Jock, trailing the redhead. Rob and Jock stood facing each other for a moment, both smiling competitively. There was a sudden stir of leaves and dust in the hot summer afternoon as the two men lunged and then collided. Farther in the woods, Jim ran at full speed after Max, closing the gap with incredible quickness. The redhead glanced over his shoulder just in time to have his eyes shoot wide open in surprise. Jim grabbed one of his arms and hoisted him into the air with one hand, seizing the flag with the other and then releasing the smaller man. Max fell to the ground and landed on his back as Jim turned and rushed back in the direction he had come from. As Jim ran, he heard Karma's voice beside him. "'I'll play rogue,' she declared playfully. Jim darted his head from side to side, trying to find sign of her. After a moment, he realized she was on his back. "'What the?' he exclaimed. Karma giggled and then vaulted over Jim's shoulder, snagging the flag from his hand as she did so. Jim skidded to a stop and turned around. Karma was hanging from a tree branch upside down, her arms and hair dangling, and the flag clutched in one hand. She grinned sprightly and winked before righting herself and leaping to another branch. Oh, it's on, Jim stated with a brief smile before rushing after her. Jock crossed his arms over his head, catching Rob's stick in the crux. With one quick movement, he lowered one arm and slid the weapon down his other, grabbing it just above Rob's hand and leaving its other end under his own arm and just past his shoulder. Rob attempted to pull back, but was instead disarmed as Jock dropped to one knee, forcing the end of the stick down with him and lifting the other end with his hand. Rob staggered backwards a few steps before recovering his footing. His eyes shot up angrily toward Jock, his brows furrowed and his jaw set. Jock spun the claimed weapon around to a fighting position and then tossed it to the side. He then locked eyes with his opponent and smiled confidently. Rob growled in irritation and charged, swinging his fist at Jock's head. Jock ducked under the attack and flipped Rob over his shoulder. The big man hit the ground with a thud and a groan. Jock kneeled next to him and patted him on the back. Good fight. Stay down for at least thirty seconds, please. Otherwise, we'll be at this all day. Jock looked up as Max came running back into the clearing, breathing heavily. Hey, man. What happened to the flag? Max started to talk, but couldn't for lack of breath. He leaned on his knees and breathed deeply for a few seconds before answering. Jim got it, then the Rainbowette stole it. He paused to take a few more deep breaths and then stood up. I think she's playing rogue. Jock nodded. That sounds like something she would do. You stay here and take a break for a minute. I'll see if I can find them. Max nodded wearily. Right. Jock began to move off when Rob called after him. Jock turned to see the larger man leaning on one arm and rubbing his head. where Would you learn those moves? He asked. Jock smiled. Isaac Martial Arts. Mayor Kai, to be specific. And with that, he turned and headed deeper into the forest. Karma ran along the forest floor, twisting and turning to take the most difficult path she could find, but any obstacle she dodged around over or under, Jim could do the same despite his size. And for those few that he couldn't go around, he went through. Karma bounced between two trees to clear a large tangled thorn bush, landing on the other side without slowing down. She glanced back as Jim ran through the briars without flinching or being hindered in the slightest. Her lips curved into a pout for a second as she saw that her plan failed yet again to stop the approaching giant. A moment later, her brow knit in mild concern when she realized that he was slowly gaining on her. Suddenly, an idea struck her. Karma skidded to a stop and lifted her hand in the sign to wait. Jim staggered to a standstill a few feet away. Karma dropped her head slightly and focused on her breathing. Jim stood where he had stopped, mildly confused and breathing slightly harder than normal. Uh, hey, Karma, why did we stop? Karma flashed him a grin. No reason. And she was off. Jim stood frozen in confusion for a second before face-palming himself. I've been had, he said, and then took off after her again. Karma gained a considerable lead from her con, and was plotting her next course of action when she saw Jock ahead of her. Oh, great, she thought. Her cat's ears perked up suddenly, as though they heard something, the expression of her face giving the same expression. After a moment, she smiled and looked at Jock, whom she was fast approaching. Jock readied himself as she approached, preparing for whatever maneuver she might try. When she was less than a dozen feet from collision, Karma suddenly tossed the flag into the air in a spin over Jock's head and toward the treetops. Jock turned to follow the trajectory, but a hand had caught it and pulled it out of view before he could catch sight of it. While thus distracted, Karma dashed past him, causing his eyes to come back down from the treetops. Look out! Jim shouted. Jock turned around from the direction Karma was headed, but it was too late. There was a crash, and the two men lay in a pile on the ground. I said to look out, Jim reiterated. Yeah, I know you did. Sorry, Jock responded. Karma lay on the roof of the cabin, her hands folded behind her head. Above her, the stars shone in the night sky, and the moon smiled down from behind the occasional misty cloud. Another form came and stretched down beside her on the rooftop. Karma glanced over at the newcomer. Hi, Calico, she said casually. Nice to see you again. The long stick with the red handkerchief on the end that they had used as a flag earlier in the day had dropped down next to Karma, clattering mildly on the rooftop. Right, I'm sure it was exhausting, she responded sarcastically to something her companion said. A moment passed as Karma listened. You know, the rest of us just have to live with that, she said with a smirk. A moment later, a thin feminine hand reached over and grabbed one of her feline ears, giving it a quick tug. Ow, cut it out, Karma yelped brushing the hand away with her own. Her ears pricked up for a moment and then drooped as she turned and glared at whoever was beside her. I'm not being a wimp. That really does hurt, she said. There was a pause for a time, and the Maorty and her companion looked up toward the stars. After a few minutes, Karma broke the silence. So, it's been a week. How are you holding up? She listened for a moment. That's good. There was another period of silence as Karma watched the sky and waited. The bright light from the moon illuminated her eyes until a cloud passed over it, darkening the landscape below. Karma sat up and looked to her side. She was alone. See you later, I guess. Karma? A tired voice inquired from below. Karma crawled over to the edge of the roof and looked down. Sho stood in a nightgown just outside the cabin, the front door half open behind her, and looked up wearily toward Karma. Are you talking to yourself? She asked drowsily. Um, no? No? With a question mark? Ugh, whatever. Just be quiet, please. Sorry, I'll be in in a minute. she walked back inside and Karma swung her legs over the edge of the roof, preparing to drop down. Her ears twitched again as she heard something a short ways away. Then they dropped flat on her head, and she turned to look wryly at the source of the sound. I'm not going to answer that, she stated in bashful defiance before hopping down from the roof. CHAPTER FOUR Sho sat at the white desk of the schoolroom as the last of the students took their seats. At the head of the room, the teacher, Professor Kamikaze, stood in front of a chalkboard. He was a lean, oriental man of slightly above-average height with grayish-brown and unkept hair and a face just as unmaintained. He wore a wool coat, dark clothes beneath, and had a pair of round glasses. Professor Kamikaze pushed his spectacles up his nose as the last student sat down. "'Today,' he began, For magic science class, we will take a cursory look at the origins of the different types of magic. Now, by this time, you will all have a general understanding of what magic is and how it works. EF, a theory of force, moves in ways that can be predicted and focused with some accuracy, allowing us to manipulate it for our benefit. Professor Kamikaze began walking back and forth in front of the class, being sure to make eye contact with each of the students. I will begin our study on type and origin by informing you that this is not always true. There is in fact a type of magic that does not use EF in any way and cannot be scientifically predicted or explained. This is white magic, sometimes just called gift. This form is only ever recorded as being used by believers and is, as near as we can tell, directly connected to their faith in their god. Scientists have tried to find ways to explain this phenomenon, but none of them have proved sufficient. In summary, white magic, or gift, cannot be controlled by human will or knowledge, and is extremely limited in who can use it. Sho raised her hand. Yes, Miss Kohiro. Isn't white magic most commonly seen in times of turmoil or distress, aside from the occasional exception? She asked. Indeed so. Some say that this is because the true nature of white magic is a manifestation of extreme emotion, such as fear. Others say that this fact is actually more proof that it is a gift of faith in God, since faith burns all the brighter in a crisis, or else goes out altogether. Okay, thank you. You are welcome. Now, the type of magic we have been studying to this point is brew magic, or standard magic. This magic requires the use of special compounds and rituals to perform. The first recorded use of blue magic was in the BC. During that time, shamans, witch doctors, and various others with similar roles discovered how to move EF in such a way to cause magic. The rituals they used, however, were primitive and essentially brute-forced the EF into a weak display of power. The desire to perform magic in the first place was a direct result of the occasional white magic user, before the arrival of the believer's messiah, and thus beginning of the AD. White magic was extremely rare, and the use of it can only be historically traced to less than 100 individuals. The potency of such power, however, was enough to make others long for such capabilities. In essence, then, blue magic is a human synthesis of its white predecessor. It was not long after blue magic came into existence that red magic, or blood magic, followed. This dark breed was conceived when the savage and less humane of the blue wizards realized that human blood was an extremely powerful connection to ethereal force, the greatest power, in fact, that we have found to date. Rather than using other inferior chemical compounds in their rituals, they began to use blood instead, fueling their magic with sacrifice and pain. The last types of magic are either extinct or far too complicated for anything less than multiple years of study. However, we will cover them briefly, just so you have at least a rudimentary understanding. Sho remained seated after class until all the other students had left, leaving the room empty except for her and Professor Kamikaze. Once this was the case, she stood up and walked over to him as he cleaned the chalkboard from the day's notes. Mr. Kamikaze? She asked politely. The professor glanced at her. Ah, Miss Kohiro, what can I do for you? Well, I was wondering if there was any way for me to get extra credit. The professor sighed before responding. Sure, if you will allow me to be casual for a moment. You have already made more extra credit in this class than it takes normal credit to pass. What possible need could you have of more? Professor Kamikaze put his eraser down, picked up a small pile of papers from his desk, and began to head out of the room. Sho followed slightly behind. Well, you see, she began. I have a lot of free time on my hands, and I really enjoy the classes here, so it's really just a matter of time well spent." She explained. "'I'll assume you have no interest in physical activities offered here?' "'No, none.' "'And what about spending time with your cabin mates? Do you dislike them?' "'Well, yes and no. You see, I—' "'Ah, here's two of them now,' Professor Kamikaze interrupted. Sho and the professor stopped in the hallway and watched. Karma had her ear to a locker and was experimentally turning the lock as Jock stood by patiently. What are you doing? Show demanded interrogatively. Hi, Show. Jock responded, smiling at her before looking back to Karma's actions. Are you trying to break into someone's locker? Honestly, Jock, I would never have imagined you would encourage something like that. Calm down, Show. We're not breaking in, but out. What? Show asked in confusion as Professor Kamikaze smiled faintly at the humor of the whole situation. "'This is a rescue op,' Jock explained. "'It looks like breaking and entering,' Show responded crossly, crossing her arms. "'Maybe it looks that way, but never judge a book by its cover. Right, Max?' "'Right, I think,' a muffled voice said through the locker grating. "'Oh my gosh, there's actually a person shoved in there?' Show exclaimed in surprise. "'Not anymore,' Carmen declared as she cracked the code and caused the locker to swing open. Allowing Max to stagger out into the hallway. You doing okay there? Jock asked the rescued student. Max took a few breaths and then responded, Yeah, I'm doing fine. That's great, Karma said disinterestedly. Jock, pay me. Oh, right. Jock pulled out a leather wallet out of his pocket and handed Karma a five-dollar bill. Thank you, the majority said curtly as she put the money in her pocket. Max straightened and stretched as Karma skipped away down the hall, humming happily to herself. Okay, who shoved you in a locker? Sho asked disapprovingly after the majority had left. (sighs) Gah, Max responded in surprise to the sudden interrogation. Gah, my sister? He finally answered lamely. Sho scoffed and then turned back to Professor Kamikaze. So, is there anything I can do for extra credit? She asked again, her demeanor becoming polite again. Professor Kamikaze chuckled before answering. I have an optional project planned for next week, but you'll have to wait until then. Sho sighed and answered sadly. Yes, sir. The professor patted her on the shoulder and then went his way. Hey, look who got out of prison. Sho turned to see Max's sister and her companion coming in that direction. Rachel trailed off slightly behind the redhead and looked toward the ground, as was her custom. Max's sister, Kate, however, walked tall and with her chin lifted a little too high, which irritated Show save me max requested as he turned to run but was stopped when jock casually held on to the hood of his jacket don't run talk it out max recovered from almost falling backward and then turned around gloomily to face the two women kate stopped about ten feet from her brother and placed her hands on her hips that was awfully nice of mr loverboy to get you out like that she teased i do my best jock replied calmly so you say kate snapped You just walk around winning everyone's admiration with your charm and rhetoric. Newsflash, some people don't fall for your antics. Jock was about to respond good-humoredly when Max interrupted. Messing with me is one thing. You leave other people out of this, though, he said sharply, taking a step forward. Really, Max? We've been over this, Kate reminded him in mock disappointment. The two siblings began arguing heatedly, their shouts echoing through the hallways. Rachel looked at them uncertainly and then glanced at Jock. Some things have to be fought out, he reassured the small woman in a hushed tone. Sho stood off to the side for a few minutes, and then rolled her eyes and unfolded her arms. I guess it's time I step in and be the adult around here, she thought. Just shut up, she commanded, stepping forward so she was halfway between the two redheads and slightly off-center. Excuse me? Kate turned to face Sho angrily. Max froze for a moment in fear and surprise as his sister's anger reached its limit and simultaneously found a new target. "'Excuse me?' she yelled again. "'You heard me,' Sho responded coldly. "'Shut your trap.' Kate's hands balled into fists, her knuckles turned white. Jock, Max, and Rachel stood by silently, knowing intervention would be madness at this point. Kate took a few steps towards Sho, looking down at the considerably shorter woman and locking eyes with her. "'I don't think you realize,' Kate began to declare, her voice threatening. "'Realize what? That you're a selfish hag?' Show interrupted with ice. Kate recoiled slightly at the insult. Listen here, you little s- Save your insults. I'm not listening. Show cut in again, brushing past Kate as she walked coldly away. The spectators watched in mute surprise as Show left, walking casually to the door and then leaving. Kate stared at the space where Show had last been, her eyes blazing, her body quaking with anger, and her mind reeling at the injustice she felt had just been given to her. Show walked outside into the midday sunlight. The sky shining brightly and the clouds strolling lazily along the blue horizon. A strong breeze came from the north, bringing a refreshing cool to the hot day. Heads up! Jim called in warning. Sho looked up to see a football tumbling straight down from above her. She scrambled out of the way, the ball striking the ground where she had been only a fraction of a second before. Hey, can you toss that here? Jim requested. She looked at Jim, and then frustratedly kicked the ball in his general direction. Jim stooped and picked it up. He was standing in the courtyard around the school building, about thirty feet from the building itself and facing it. He steadied his aim and then threw the ball high and straight, spiraling in a perfect course toward the structure. Sho followed the ball with her eyes, curious where it was going. Along the side of the school building, Karma scrambled barefoot on all fours toward the ball's trajectory. When she neared its target location, she swung about so she was facing out and caught the ball with one hand, holding onto the building with the other and her feet. Oh yeah! Jim cheered. Piece of cake, Karma shouted down holding the football up in triumph. Jim and Sho covered their eyes to block the blazing light of the sun as they looked at her. You two are crazy, Sho declared, turning toward Jim. What's so crazy about it? Jim asked. A. Karma could fall and get seriously hurt. B. You could put that thing through a window. What difference does it make? Karma inquired. Fine, whatever. Sho walked away as Karma tossed the ball back to Jim, who caught it deftly. Jim glanced at Sho as she receded. You have any idea what she's talking about?" he asked Karma. Yeah, but who cares? Alright, there you go. Guys, I hope that you enjoyed this. Uh, like I said, doing these Indie Author episodes, it's just, it's so much fun on my end and I just really, really hope that it's providing some value to these Indie Authors because like I said so many times, being a creative uh, type of person, <laughs> being a creator is not an easy thing to do because there's there's so much noise going on out there. So my hope is that with these bonus episodes I'm introducing you to new Indie Authors that you will love and uh, go and support their work and at the same time you're just getting a fun cool sample of an audiobook we'll be back on sunday with another episode of treasure island that is wrapping up and i want to hear from you what book do you think that we should do next get in touch with me and remember we're also still running the three free audiobook promotion there so that's been all over on my social media so if you haven't seen that go back through the posts on social media you'll see it and uh, there's a way to get three free audiobooks from yours truly so if you want to do that that would be awesome and it would mean a lot to me so thanks guys so much for listening and we'll talk to you on sunday